You're listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tulloch and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the MLHS Podcast. My name's Ian Tulloch. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli as always. But joining us today, we have a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to try my best anyways. He's won nine Stanley Cups and is widely considered the best hockey coach of all time. We have Scotty Bowman joining us today. How you doing, Scotty? Good. Nice to be on. We're really looking forward to talking hockey with you. I'm sure we have a lot of questions here. So, Anthony, I'll let you ask right off the bat. What do you want to get started with? I don't even know where to begin other than thank you for taking some time to join us today. I actually I have a, a number of books that you're quoted in, so I, I made sure to kind of go back and, and read them and times that you've been interviewed and, and certain things that, that you've wanted to say. And, of course, we're a Leaf podcast, so we're going to talk a lot about the Leafs and, and you used to coach in Montreal. And one of the things that you said previously was, I always felt the pressure in Montreal brought out the best in good players. Now, we were talking a little bit about the series that just happened, and I would find it hard to argue that a few of the Leafs' top players didn't look nervous and play nervous in their final uh, few games of the series. Did you ever encounter that with your top players, and how did you go about trying to fix that? Well, Montreal, of course, when you go back, uh, I can go back a long time, the 50s and 60s and 70s, those three decades, uh, you know, just about the same for all of them. Uh, in the 50s, they, they, they won their one cup in, in 53, and then they won the five in a row, well, count, counting uh, 1960. But, they, they, you know, they won like at least five. And then it, people underrate the 60s for them because they, after they won the five in a row, they went four years in a row. Chicago won the first time, 61. Montreal still was first place that year, but they got beat it by Chicago. And uh, Toronto won the three in a row with a lot of veterans, although they were getting, they were getting some good young players. So um, the, the 62, 63, 64 Toronto. Uh, and then Montreal... Uh, which is a, a four years out of five, they won. They don't talk about those teams like 65, 66, 68, 69, because, and then of course, 67 was the last Toronto uh, win. And that, that prevented Montreal from going another five in a row. And, you know, so you look, you look through the sixties and uh, they, they still, they still won four, four uh, cups, you know, and, and then in the in the in the seventy, if you count seventy one, and the, and the seventy three, and the, and then the other four, that they had six. So Montreal, the the, um, the expectations were high always, and uh, some of the teams weren't as good as others, but people didn't didn't worry about that. The fans really thought that they should try to win every year. I mean, that's the way it was, and it's so different now because you can't keep all your players. I looked at the records of all those teams in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and even even going into the 80s and and started changing in the 90s, where you could keep, you know, Edmonton Oilers were a dynasty, and so so was uh, the Islanders. Each, you know, the Islanders won four in a row, and and, and uh, the the Oilers won, I think, uh, five five out of seven. So, but they they kept all their players because you you didn't have the cap system. So now it's totally different. You've got to patch up every year, and if you if you're really successful, like you're going to run into a down a downward turn, which we know Chicago, Detroit was the first one, 
Los Angeles. Pittsburgh hasn't gone through that yet. They they haven't won a playoff game in a couple of years or something, but or a playoff series. But uh, I don't think they're I don't think they're uh, on the real skids. But can they can they can they come back and beat some of these teams that have a lot of good young players? I don't think they can. I mean, you you got to try, and they'll they'll try as hard as they can because they still got some good pieces. But it's hard to keep a sustained team. But the pressure in Montreal would, was always huge uh, for for anybody that, I mean, a lot of the players would stay there during the summer. A lot of them would leave and go back to their own residences. But it's a pretty uncomfortable place. It was a, a, an uncomfortable place. And then, of course, it slid in the last 20-some years where it's... Uh, but it, when you know that the, the people expect to win... It, it, I think I think you feel it, but you feel if you have a good team, you feel it in a good way, not in a bad way. So Toronto's had a lot of setbacks, but the setbacks have occurred recently with a lot of a lot of young players uh, that they they built their team around, and trying to trying to figure out all the pieces to fit is not easy, because now you've got the financial aspect where. If you're going to get good young players and you want to keep them, you you sign them, and uh, it's a, it's a real uh, dead end right now because the league, the, the cap system is really in flux because uh, you know they they just extended the agreement six years, and I would say 90, 85 to ninety percent of the league teams they're 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 saturated at the cap. There's not very many teams that that so what you have is what you got. And unless you can develop some young player, that's that's the secret. If you if you can get some good young players and get them on entry level contracts, it gives you a little bit of running room. But it's a tricky, it's a very slippery slope right now to build a, a winning team. But Toronto still has a very strong nucleus. When you have a good nucleus, you know they've got four or five terrific pieces. And this year they tried to patch them up with some veterans, which you understand. And it, uh, it worked for a while, but it, it didn't work in the playoffs. And uh, they're totally a different concept than Montreal because uh, Montreal, I don't know the reason for it, but up till this uh, off season that just finished or just before this season, um, they were, they stayed way under the cap. They, 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 they didn't spend, I, I don't know the reason for it, because they were uh, selling out 20, 20, 20 21 thousand, uh, but they they built up a um, built up some money this summer that they uh, last summer rather that they could go out and sign players, and that's what helped them because you know they uh, they made a good trade. Uh, well, uh, he hasn't done it in the playoffs. He's he's kind of gone dry. But Josh Anderson was carried them for the beginning part of the year. They were able to go and sign uh, Tyler Toffoli. He, he was an interesting case because, uh, you know, uh, Vancouver paid a pretty steep price in picks for him, and he did very well with the Canucks, but his, uh, his, his agent and everything else, they wanted a pretty big contract, and, and uh, Vancouver couldn't give it to him, and uh, he went on the open market in Montreal. That's what you need to do is, uh, I think the next team that will do that, and probably in spades, will be uh, Detroit. Because they have over 25,000, 25 million in uh, cap space. And there's hardly, I don't think, I don't know any, maybe New Jersey has has a lot of room. 
but everybody else doesn't have room and uh, they're trying to make room, you know, you, but it's hard, hard because you can't get rid of players when they have contracts. You just brought up Detroit. I wanted to ask you about that Detroit team that you first came in and coached because in their previous few seasons, if I look it up here, uh, 89 lost in the first round, 1990 out of the playoffs, 91 lost in the first round, 92 lost in the second round, 93 lost in the first round. And then that's when you came into a team that even though earlier in Steve Eiserman's career, they'd made it pretty far in the playoffs. There were a lot of early exits for a team with a lot of talent. And you had a Steve Eiserman in his prime, you had a young Nicholas Lidstrom, you had a young Sergei Fedorov, but that's obviously a team that probably felt that they should have been accomplishing a lot more than they actually were at the time. So as a coach coming into that, what did you do to help them get over that proverbial hump? Because I got to think that's frustrating for players of that caliber to not be succeeding in the playoffs. And making the comparison to Toronto, I feel like it's similar. You have a lot of young talent that should be winning, and they're not winning. So how did you come in and, and try to shift the atmosphere and shift the culture? Well, Detroit had a skilled, a very skilled team in the late 80s, like you mentioned. And they were getting uh, to the point where <clears throat> during the season, and we, we saw the big change again this year, in the season, Detroit were able to score. Uh, they were one of the highest scoring teams in the league. But at the same time, they were not even near the middle of the pack of the teams in those years uh, defensively. So uh, you had too many players of the same type uh, that could score. But, you know, the, the problem when you get into the playoffs, it's, 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 not, it's not a secret, but their offense dries up. Uh, people wonder, what does that mean? Well, it dries up. Uh, the ability to score goals uh, is not, it doesn't stay for, forever. And you can't just count on it because what happens with uh, the, the, the defensive teams, like, the, the, like let's take the, the calls. The calls are not as plentiful in the in the playoffs there there's power play goals and there's penalties and people scream about what what's a penalty some nights but uh, you know teams can teams can design defensive systems to shut down you can run into some terrific goalies i mean can you imagine the ones that are going to be playing now uh, each of those four teams is, there's five left but you know the islanders uh, maybe the least known goalie varlamov but with uh, Vasilevsky and, and uh, Price and uh, certainly uh, uh, Fleury, you, you know, you you got a lot of a lot of top high end high end goalies. So offense can be affected by goaltenders, uh, players that score goals during the season. What happens to them? Uh, well, it used to be a saying, but they can't use it now because they don't use good sticks. But they said. They used to, the players used to squeeze the sticks so much the sawdust would come out of them, but now they're now they're fiberglass. But no, so and then the other the other thing is uh, the little little things that count like faceoffs. Maybe during the season, you know, you don't worry about it as much. But there's a lot of factors. So when when I did go to to Detroit, they were a high scoring team that had been shut down in the playoffs. Um, they just they just you know they they maybe were scoring. They could score three and three and um, percentage amount of goals per game, and then all of a sudden in the playoffs, sometimes they'd only score one or two. Why? The, well, there wasn't as many penalties called. They had a very good power play. Um, I could give you a, a bit of an illustration because the, the year before I got to Detroit, uh, they played Toronto in a in a big series, a seven game series, and Detroit was down. That's the year before I got there. 
Detroit was down three games to two, and they had to go into Maple Leaf Gardens and play game game six. And uh, Toronto, uh, for whatever reason, took a lot of penalties in game six. And Detroit had uh, four power play goals, and they won the games. I think it was like seven to three, maybe seven to four. And uh, they came home for game seven, but it's a game seven, and uh, maybe a lot of the fouls were the same as in game six, but there was no penalties. There was only one penalty late in the game. I think I think Detroit had a, had a lead of one nothing, and we got a penalty, and uh, Toronto tied it up, and that's when that Burakovsky, the Burakovsky goal. Borchevsky, yeah. So there's an illustration where, you know, seventh game, team got shut down. So um, when I got there, we I, I knew right away that they could score, but the accent was on how do you defend, and and I mean if you don't if you if you have a team that is not able to defend the lead, it's very hard to go far in the playoffs. And you go, you, there's no difference now. I mean, you you look at uh, you look at Tampa Tampa Bay. I know a lot about that team. They can play offense and they can play defense. They can they can nurse a lead. Uh, that's why they they I think that till till one game in the playoffs they were like 30, 30 when they had the lead at the end of the second period of thirty and all. Maybe now it's thirty one and, and one or something. But um, you have to be able to be able to shut down teams in the in the playoffs if you because you, yes you have to get the lead. But you have to protect the lead, and if you if you're not a good defensive team, uh, you, you know that's that's why I like watching the game last night. Uh, Vegas, that was a huge goal that Vegas scored in the last few seconds of the second period. I think uh, Petra Angelo took a shot, and it it hit. Uh, uh, I think it was Colasar. Uh, he deflected it in, so it gave them the lead, and that's a big big goal because they went into the third period. I, I thought for a while in the first 10 minutes of the third period, I said, you know, Colorado's coming close. They're putting a lot of pressure on. They're playing in the defensive zone. But, you know, the, 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 the good saves, the, the, the blocking shots, uh, you know, uh, they did that. They, they, led, they led the league in block shots, and they led, I think they led the playoffs in block shots so far. So um, what I'm getting at is – I, I had to go in and explain to this team if they keep scoring goals during the season and not defending, they're going to get knocked out again in the playoffs. It's simple as that. Now Toronto did a good job this year playing better defensively because they, they, they could score goals. I mean, they didn't have many of those kind of games. And I, I didn't, I didn't think in the playoffs that they played uh, poorly defensively. They, they didn't get shell shocked. You know, when they got beat by Montreal, uh, Montreal were very opportunistic, and uh, you know they, they they scored goals at the right time for sure. But tr- it wasn't as if Toronto, in other years when they lost to Boston a couple of times, they they got swept right off their feet in the third period of games, and they they couldn't defend. But they can defend a little better now, but not not quite good enough. And uh, you know the goaltending this year was pretty good. Uh, I don't think it hurt them in the playoffs as, as much as people might have thought it might have. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, uh, Matthews and Marner are, are a good example uh, of great offensive players that can get shut down. Uh, I mean, you know, they, it's the win. They, didn't, they, had some, they had shots in the playoffs that, that probably during the season 
the, the, the puck went in the net. But you know, when you're but see, the problem is when you when you count on a few players to carry your attack, it's 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 it's, uh, it's, it's not a reason for failure. But you gotta you have to have a team in the playoffs. Uh, uh, some players that are on the second or third. like last night, Vegas, Vegas, their, their fourth line who didn't played they played less than eight minutes as a line and they scored two huge goals. Carrier scored the clinching goal and Colasar scored the lead goal and they only played eight minutes and that that's a trick. It's, you you know you, you have to hope that you get a line that's going to play play good defensively, but they were good defensively. And I think with Toronto, you know, they, they definitely didn't talk about much about it. But the, the big loss for me was John Tavares. I mean, he, he, he uh, although you could, people on the other say, well, no, you know, uh, Nylander scored five goals and he would be playing with Tavares. But Tavares is a goal scorer. And, you know, at the right time, at the right place in the game, because a lot of those games were tight. Uh, close. I mean, you know, by a goal. So I, I wasn't admitting in blowouts. I mean, Montreal didn't blow them out. So there's a lot of factors that go into winning. And, uh, you know, uh, one is injuries. Uh, you could get a, a player suspended at the wrong time, probably hurt Colorado. I mean, Kadri, Kadri went for eight games and, and, he, and I guess he just served the last game last night. That hurt them a lot. We're used to seeing that in Toronto with Kadri. Well, you know, it was it was an unfortunate. It was a it was a bad hit. There's no question about it. There's been a half a dozen of them in the playoffs, but it took a, a lot out of the team. So I, I think I think you have to be able to maybe during the season make sure that you play. Uh, you know, although I don't think Toronto this year uh, tried to blow out teams. I mean, I don't have all the stats in front of me because they finished 18 or 20 points ahead. But sometimes when you're going through the season, you don't have adversity and all of a sudden it creeps up on you and you get, you know, because I don't, I don't think Toronto uh, played that badly against Montreal. They were within a shot of knocking them out. And, uh, you know, it would be, it'd be like Colorado could say similar type. They were within a shot of winning the third game and, and going up three to nothing. And, the other team scored the, the, the overtime goal. I think it was Spacioretti. And next thing you know, the series goes back. And uh, But you have to be able to – in the playoffs, you need a team game. You need – you need. Uh, I looked at the Montreal ice time. Even in the games against Winnipeg, can they continue that? They, they'll have to. Can it be successful? It's going to be – it's going to be a lot tougher against Vegas – the game that uh, Evans got injured by Shifley in, in game one. Was that game one or game two? Game one. It was game one. Game one, yeah. Now, that game, uh, I looked at the Montreal ice times the next day, and <laughs> on the forward line, the player that played the most ice time was, was Evans. He played 17.50. Dano played 17.30. They were on the checking line because – they had nursed that one nothing uh, lead. That was the game. And uh, I think there was another player in there that played like uh, 16, Ar Armia. Uh, he was another player they were using. So, but, and, and then all the other players played 
15, 14. I looked at the uh, Gallagher played 14 one night. Anderson only played 10. Um, Stahl played 12 sometimes. Uh, uh, the Toffoli was about 15, 16. So, you know, you're sitting in the dressing room. I'm sure how Montreal are sitting in there and they're not saying that this player, like during the season, I thought if Toffoli didn't score or Anderson didn't score, they weren't going to win games because they, they, they carried that team. I mean, they, they get in, you know, they, in the first 30 games, 50, uh, 25 games of the season, I, I was impressed with Montreal. I said, this team's going to, they're going to be the, they look at like the best team in the North. Now they did play Vancouver about a five game. They had three games in Vancouver and they came back to Montreal and played them twice, but they still could. Uh, the reason that they've gone this far is they don't have a game breaker that has to score. And they've got guys that have come through. I mean, all of a sudden Evans goes out and Lekkonen comes in and he gets a couple of goals and, you know, so they're getting, they're getting the scoring. And that, that's what I find with the winning teams is uh, it's a, it's a team effort defense. You can maybe shorten up a little bit. Montreal's not playing three pairs of defensemen. They're playing four defensemen about mid twenties. 24, 25, 26, which is not insurmountable. You can get away with it, especially if you're uh, playing a, a real tight game. They're not. They're not playing a racetrack type of game. So they and, they and they're and they're big guys. You know, I I like the idea. All of the teams that are playing now, and and it's it's not what people are talking during the season. They're saying we need defensemen that can join the attack. We need defensemen that can play in the offensive zone follow the rush and all of a sudden in the playoffs now if you look at well, let's take I, I see Tampa play a lot Tampa is a huge defense nobody's got a defense as big the uh, headman's a giant Sergachev's a big guy so is Chernak you know uh, they're all they're, the only the smallest defenseman of the of the group is uh, McDonough he's not a small guy he's medium he's probably about six foot one so they they've got size they they, they they're pretty mobile they block shots. Islanders, uh, Pelek, Pulak, Pulak, um, Mayfield. These are big guys. Uh, you'll see with the the, the uh, Vegas team, they're big. Montreal's defense is big. Toronto's was not small, like medium size, but uh, you know you need you need the, 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 and there's another loss too that we never Muzzin. talked about is Muzzin. Yeah, Muzzin for blocking shots. He's he's probably the one guy. That could play a little physical. You need you can't you can't have a, a one trick pony. You can't have a, a defense that's all that's all skill and and no 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 contact. Um, you know, one of the guys that Colorado lost because of money during the season, and he was a penalty killer. He was probably their most aggressive defenseman, Ian Cole. Now he went to he went to Minnesota. Uh, they they had to they had, they get they didn't get anything for him. They had to get rid of his money. And uh, he went there, and uh, he did a good job for Minnesota. But the Colorado defense, McCarr, Gerard, Graves, Taves, they're all kind of – they're good defensemen. They could help a lot of teams. They're offense. They're offensive defensemen. And, you know, the other team had a mixture, uh, Vegas. They, uh, Theodore is a very, very uh, underrated defenseman. He's not as effective this year as he was last year, but they got Peter Angelo. But he and Martinez were really dangerous uh, last year as a 
as a twosome. Uh, now they got Peter Angelo, but on the other hand, you see they got they got that white cloud, and and they and they've got uh, 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 Coburn, McNab, McNab. you know, yeah, Braden, uh, Braden, uh, Braden and they're they're big guys, and they, they you know, they, they they run guys into the boards. They they they, they play physical, and uh, you know, I don't know uh, what you think, but I mean, it's uh, you got four teams left. They all have big defensemen. I don't. It could be an oddity, could be just happened. <clears throat> but there, there's some good defensemen in the league. But there's some defense. Some teams. When when St. Louis won their cup, I was always impressed with the type of defense they had. They had, and, and you know, they they got the, they they lost a lot of them because you know they they lost the uh, they lost the fellow that that retired, uh, big big guy. Bomeister. Bomeister. Yeah, they yeah. lost him. They had Peter Angelo, you know. They had Edmondson, uh, they had Gunnarsson. They had they, and they played. They played. They played. They were tough to play against. They they were good at the point. They got the pucks through, and uh, you know maybe that's that's the one area where Toronto has to go and uh, and find a, a like they, they, I don't know what they have coming up, but th- that might be the area that they have to improve on, you know on. Defend like not Riley uh, Morgan Riley is an excellent defenseman. You know he you need a you need you need a player like that. You can't you can't operate. It's not it's not his fault. They don't have other fellows that could kill penalties and block shots and play physical because he's he's a he's a he's really a guy like uh, Morgan Riley can really help offensive players like Matthews and Marner and uh, but you know there I don't think this year was a it wasn't the same as when they got eliminated. The problem it is, it's Montreal. They 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 had a Montreal um, had a terrific two months. They went in the real dumper for a while. They look like they're going to miss the playoffs. They had a lot of injuries, a lot of COVID. They brought they brought in three guys at the at the trade deadline. You know, they brought in Gustafson's only a power play guy, but you know they brought him in. They brought Stahl in. You know, so they they and they they had a lot of they have a lot of depth this year. They had, I was wondering they were signing all these veterans. They signed Perry. You know, they 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 made a lot of moves, and uh, now it's been paying off. But I think that's probably the toughest part for Toronto is they they were definitely favorites this time, and a very big underdog team won, which which really hurts. So when you were in Detroit. And and you guys, you know, it was a big thing back then of, of them getting over the hump. The the thing that I don't think gets talked about enough in, in retrospect now is, like, you guys added Brendan Shanahan. We added a lot of good players. And, and you know, on, on, on the good teams that I had, both in Detroit and, and, and Montreal, um, the role players meant so much to the team. Uh, going back to Montreal... We had Riseboro, we had Lombert, we had Tremblay, we had Jarvis. Bob Ganey was a defensive stalwart. He was a Hall of Fame player. Only very few guys will get in the Hall of Fame with, for what he did because he was the best defensive player of his era. And, 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 and then when I went to Detroit, Draper, Maltby, Koser, um, uh, McCarty, these are important players in the playoffs. You, you need – they're under underestimated. Uh, they don't log – 18, 20 minutes a game. They might have 15 at the most during the season, maybe 12, 13. 
but they see when I went there, they could score. And Iserman was as good as any player in the league. He scored one year, he scored 60 and another year he got uh, 160 points. But, but a lot of the goals were scored. He, he was the one guy that was scoring. He would play high a lot. He, he wasn't playing a two way game because I think he felt if he didn't score, they couldn't win. And and they, and he scored a lot, and they did win during the season. But in the playoffs, it's tough for one guy; he can get shut down. And uh, he he took it on himself to play a different. He changed his game totally. Played two ways, took faceoffs, block shots, kill penalties, and that spilled off. That that spill spills off to the rest of the team, you know. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, Matthews is young; he's only was is this his fourth year or fifth year with the Leafs. So this was his fifth year. Fifth but, year. I mean, yeah. You know, he comes in at 18, so or 19, whatever he did. So he's only he's, he's still a young uh, guy, and he, you know, this year he took faceoffs, and he, you know, Marner kills penalties. He, they uh, you can't every every can't have all your offensive guys, but uh, we we played a good we we turned our game around in Detroit with some size. We 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 got like you said we got Shanahan. We had we we got uh, some good Russian experienced guys, Larionov. We got uh, Fatisov. They meant a lot to our team. You know, we had a pretty good sized defense. I mean, we didn't have many small guys. You know, we 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 didn't do it by design. But as I look back, it was a big defense. The Montreal defense was huge when I was there for those eight years. I mean, and especially at that time, they would be comparable now. Robinson and Savard would be comparable now. To guys six foot five or six, they were six foot three. And yeah, Robinson six, was a monster. <laughs> so was Savard. He's a big, big man. And we had other guys too. Bouchard was big. We didn't know small defensemen. Lapointe's not small. And uh, you know, uh, when you look back, you need you need grinding type of players that uh, can accept their role. It's a tough role because you know you're not going to get paid if you don't score points and stuff like that. But you need to have them on the team. And uh, we added pieces, which you could add in those days because you could sign. You could. We had an owner that wanted to win, and he, he didn't care uh, about signing players. There was a player on the market. He wanted them. You can't do that now. You can't go out and, uh, like, there's going to be some players on the – there's going to be a lot of free agents this year uh, uh, trying to get good contracts. They earn them. They play very well for teams. There's a ton of guys that are out. I, I, I saw and uh, heard on the radio today – 10 or 12 names of players that are, are going to be uh, UFAs. Now, the problem is there's no not money. a lot of teams that have money because, you know, and, and they're not going to have money for the next, uh, well, I mean, the cap's not going to go up for maybe three to four years. So, they're, you, you know, the, the teams have been trying to hold on to what they had or trying to, trying to add players. So there's so many teams that are near the cap. I mean, the, the, what the Lightning did this year was a stroke of genius. I mean, people didn't like it, but it's 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 available for everybody. I mean, their payroll is a hundred million. Yeah, you know they picked up Gaborik. Uh, they picked up the, the goalie from Ottawa, Nielsen. That took care of nine million, and then they, and then uh, Kucherov got injured, and he had to have surgery. So that was another nine and a half. I mean, they 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 would have that, that team would have. They were budgeting. If they couldn't have done this, they would have lost Kalorn, uh, probably Palat, 
they wouldn't they wouldn't let the young guy go a point. But I mean, Kucherov is young. But they would have lost two or three of their top six. That's a lot. And 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 they that's why they're so good now because they got depth. They got they got they play four lines, not not equal, but you know their their fourth line is Johnson and and uh, and Maroon and Colton. That's a kid they just picked up this year and he's done pretty well. But that line, I mean, they, Tampa is a good example. They they had a lot of heartaches and all of a sudden, you know, uh, Julian Breesbaugh, the manager, when. When he went out and got Goodrow, paid a big price. Well, I mean, you know, people think it's a big price, but their pick was player number going to be in the high twenties. It, it sounds it sounds like dramatic, a first round pick, but it's player number thirty or twenty eight. You know, it's not the same. If you look at a draft pick value chart, it's it drops off considerably after around pick twenty. You're basically looking at a second round pick. To me, the first round, I had it in my mind, it used to be. The, I, I find 12. Anything after 12 is not the same. And you'll see in drafts, a lot of drafts, it goes up to there's eight or 10 or 12 players. They, they're really going to be good. You can pick one up in 15 or 20. The Islanders picked up Barzal at numbers, number 15 or 17 in a draft when Boston had three. But uh, the, the, the thing is, it's so hard now to rebuild your team. Uh, if you don't like certain players, you can't get rid of them, you know. And if you if you, if you don't have the money, Detroit's going to be interesting to watch because they uh, they they in well they in New Jersey have the most money to spend. They they I mean whether they want to do it or not, that's something I don't know. But they they they've got it in the high twenties a million dollars that they 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 signed players last year to try to get a little better. Mark Stahl and Bobby Ryan and Nemeth, but only one-year contracts. See, they they they, they gave they, they you know they got the guys on one-year deals because they didn't they didn't want to get extended because they'll they'll probably go out this year and maybe look at some of these free agents. You know, there there might be some. I don't I don't know what Colorado is going to do with the the captain. That's that's a big big player for them. Been a captain what nine years now, Landis Scott? I think since he he's entered the league, basically almost. Well, he's twenty-eight. He's twenty-eight years year. old. Twenty-eight years old, pretty versatile. Youngest player. captain ever. Is that is that what he was? The youngest. Yeah, when he when they named so he, him, no, know, he was the youngest. But he's going to try to hit. Uh, you can't really blame him. He's got the right. When you any player okay. that, that uh, there's not a player in the league that would like not to be a UFA at least once in his career, you know, and. Uh, no, you hope you can keep your, your – and then if you – sometimes you have to keep them and you have to give them longer than they – like, I mean, I, I imagine he's going to get a pretty long contract from, from either Colorado or somebody else. But uh, So that's how you build a team is, you know, you've got to be careful on these, on these contracts. But uh, I, I, I don't think uh, that's the reason that Toronto be, got beat by Montreal. I think the reason was that – they they ran into some real misfortunes, and that that happens to teams. And I don't think you could blame the goaltender. I didn't think there was a game that I'd say the reason they lost tonight is because of him. No, he was fine. He was good. And you can't, you know, just because Price stands on his head in a certain situation, that you can't you can't blame the other goalie. It's when you 
when you watch them, do you think that they need to do a better job supporting Matthews and Marner? Because I'll tell you right now in Toronto, like people are ready to to trade at minimum Marner. I hear it every day. I get messages all the time. People are, they're mad. Like they've lost five years in a row and people yeah, are those, upset. Those, see, those people like that, you can't listen. You I mean, you have to, you have to cultivate your fans, but they're not in, and and I don't think anybody, other than the inner sanctum of the team, really. I mean, there's a lot of people that can make make suggestions, but uh, you don't know the inner workings of all the contracts. Uh, you know, when you get a player like uh, Mitch Marner uh, at his age and what he what he's comes this far, yes, the playoffs. I, I can go back. You can go back and check. It's a long time. When the Hawks started to make a rebound in the late 50s, and the reason they made a good rebound is two superstar Hall of Fame players came within a year of each other, Stan Makita and Bobby Hull. And you know, their first three or four years, it's only six teams now, they got knocked out in the first round. I mean, I've been looking group, for a comparable. I did not go that far back. I did not know that was who I should have been looking yeah. at. They won They won in 61, and I think Makita and Hull joined in 58 or 59. But they had two or three tough years, and uh, they didn't look at their playoff records until they got going. But so, I mean, you know, I, I don't judge players on, on just a one, one snapshot of one year. And, uh, it, it, you know, to get value back, or a player like that. I know what people are thinking. They're thinking, oh, let's take the 11 million that he makes and get two five and a half million dollar players. It's exactly, that doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work. It doesn't it's not work. real. It's not real, no. Uh, one question I did want to ask you about was your coaching style. I know that you're notorious as uh, one of the meanest NHL head coaches in history, right up there with the uh, Bill Belichick's in terms of uh, historic coaches who get results from their players. But if you ask their players, hey, did you enjoy playing for him? They, they might tell you, well, I didn't love him every day in practice. He was uh, it's pretty hard on us. <laughs> they had a Zoom call last night. Uh, uh, some fellow from Toronto, I think it's called the Hockey Time Machine. We had a Zoom call from 7 to 8.45. And he got on. You got Dryden. Savard, Robinson, Cornway, uh, Shutt, yeah, and myself. And there was a round, good round, was a round table about talking about how we did different things. But, you know, it, it, I wasn't – my job was to win games. I wanted to develop a team atmosphere everywhere I went. That individual – I'm not interested in an individual's I'm not interested in characters. I'm interested in character, but I'm interested in a players that are going to play for a team and whatever kind of player you have. And I, we talked about it last night. I said uh, to Ivan Cornway, I said, Ivan, did you ever expect to get on the ice if we had a one goal lead in the last two minutes of the game? And he said, no, you had Jarvis, you had Ganey, you had Roberts, you had Hull, And see when a, when a team recognizes that, it's tough now because players get paid. It's like baseball. Baseball, everybody hits home run, trying to hit home runs because they get paid for home runs. But in hockey, you get paid if you get points and goals. But 
at the same time, if you're going to win championships, I, I was very a big stickler that you had to play some type of a defense at some point in your career that if you're going to win, win at all. And I, I mean, and if you were not a, if you were not in the mode of being a defensive player, then make sure you're one of the best offensive players. And you, you know, you get a player that's going to score 25 goals. It's hard to make them better defensively, but you don't want to ruin them and not get, you, you know, maybe you got to encourage them to get 30, but if he's on the team, it's a team game. And you're, if we're losing in the game, you'll have a lot of ice. If we're winning in the game, you may not have as much ice. Something happened in the last game between the Islanders and Boston. I think they brought it up and uh, re- reflecting to Barry Trotz. And uh, uh, Matthew, Bar- Matthew Barzal, in the last game against Boston, he had three, 350, nearly four minutes the first period, which is maybe a minute or a bit under. And then he had about three and a half, four minutes in the second period. And then he had the lead. And he played 250. So he had a total of 10 minutes in the game. Now, he accepted that. He, he looks like now that he's turned the corner. He, they're not worried about him scoring 30 or 40 goals every year. He's, his biggest thing now, he wants to win. He wants to try to win, get the island. They've got a big, big challenge ahead of them with playing the, the defending champions. But that's the thing that a team has to embrace. If they're worried about their own ice time, if they're worrying about their own scoring records, it's a coach's job to diffuse that. Try to try to explain what you're trying to do. I'm trying to hear. I'm trying to win, and I've got a good team that I can win with because I've got players that can check and I got players that can score. But don't mix me up and put my scoring guys to check and vice versa. And that's something that that the coach has to do because. You know, if you're going to win something, you have to you have to get the lead. No question. I'm not denying that. But you have to be able to play the right way. When you hear that mean, when, when the coaches now, it's kind of a, a catchy slogan, play the right way. The right way to me, I would interpret it as being if you're ahead in the game, you take very little chances. If you're behind in the game, you take as many as you can. I mean, that, that to me is what it means, playing the right way. It doesn't mean a guy just trying to score goals, not back-checking, not worrying about getting caught, things of that nature. So that's a coach's job. I I was there with a good team. Uh, I mean, we expected to win. And, uh, you know, we had setbacks too. But sometimes you need adversity. I, I know I'm a big fan of having adversity before success. And like you said, Toronto's had... Quite a bit of adversity in the playoffs and maybe a lot with the same players. But, you know, it'll wear off in time and, uh, you know, they'll have to look at their situation, add and subtract. I thought they did a good job resurrecting some veteran players to, to bring them in to uh, give them give them uh, experience, uh, what they have. You know, Montreal, it's clicked for Montreal because guys like Corey Perry and Stahl, I mean, they're not great players now, but they mean a lot to that team. I mean, the young players coming in, boy, uh, you know, they, you know they, they picked up uh, Edmondson uh, from uh, Carolina. He had been previously with, uh, with the Blues, you know. So, uh, you know, they, they've, they've got some they got some players in their, uh, on their team now that have 
got got a pedigree of winning, and that's a big big thing in the uh, playoffs. Now, Matthew, you talked about ice time there with the Barzell example. Now, Matthews and Marner have been playing like 23, 24 minutes a night. It's a lot. It's a lot. What kind of negative effect do you think that has on even the rest of the players in the team, if any? Well, I mean, I'm sure the players think about it. Uh, If you're not winning, maybe it has more of an effect. But if you're winning, you want to win. But uh, they're young players and you know, I, I don't think they were fatigued in the playoffs as much as they were stymied uh, by a good checking. I mean, comparing the way that they weren't checked during the season as in the playoffs. I mean, you know, you draw a lot. Of, when you're when you're on a team and you've scored at, at all those goals during the season, you draw a lot of attention. And it just so happened that Montreal, they built their game around good goaltending Big defense. I mean, that's an underrated part of their team. Petrie uh, and and Weber. They don't. I mean, Petrie used to rush up more during the season, but Weber stays back now and blocks shots and plays plays aggressive as he can. Edmondson, uh, one of the players on Montreal that really came through for them. He was a wonderful signing for them, and he's really hurt Winnipeg. Is uh, Sherrod? Mm-hmm. Sherrod played the most minutes in some games in the last series. Uh, you know, uh, when they beat Winnipeg. But, I mean, uh, you know, it's been tough for Winnipeg because I, I saw them three years ago, watched this team grow. Buffalo, Truba, Sherratt, uh, uh, the, the big tall guy in uh, Tyler. Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, you know, there's four really good defensemen. Morrissey's a, a real good player, too. He's a good young defenseman. But, I mean, there's four. And I'm not sure if he was there. I think he might have been. But four of them are gone. Big, and They were big, too, you know. Um, and Tyler Myers is more offense. Sherratt was more defense. Bufflin was both. He could rush. He's sort of a hybrid player. And, uh, you know, uh, they had they – had it's a tough loss. I mean, probably money, money jumped into the equation – because Myers signed a long contract with uh, Vancouver. Chirac, I don't know, he signed with Montreal. Uh, Buffalo, unfortunately, that was a misfortune that he didn't continue playing. So it's, uh, boy, oh boy, it's tough to, it's tough to know. It's easy to, it's easy to criticize when it's over. It's hard to criticize when it's in operation, you know? While we're talking about defense, I really wanted to ask you about Sergei Fedorov when he went back on defense. I know at the time there were a bunch of injuries to Detroit defensemen, and you looked at your roster and you said, oh, who do we have here up front that could actually play defense? And Fedorov was your most defensively responsible fleet of foot skater. But it's just such a fascinating experiment. I'm curious how that came about. Well, it was two, twofold. I'll tell you, twofold. Sergei Fedorov was as, as strong a skater a two-way player that I've had on all the teams I had. Um, he was that kind of a player. And uh, we had really strong center ice. We had Iserman, we had Larianov, we had Draper. And, you know, there's not there's only 60 minutes in a regular game unless now there's overtime in that. And uh, he, he needed work. And I, 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 I used to try as hard as I could because he could kill penalties, he could play on the power play. But, you know, you're trying to get a four-line game going, and it's hard to get him to the 
18, 20 minute mark. And uh, I, I, so then we got two of our regular defensemen injured, but he could always skate very well. He was, he, he really, when he first came up and I wasn't there from Russia, one of the uh, unusual players from Russia, he was a defensive player. He, he, he had a good shot, but he, he just liked to play defense. He liked to play without the puck. And then, of course, when he got in the NHL, he, 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 he knew he could play with the puck too. So we, we decided, I decided, I called him in. I said, you know, I've been trying to figure out this 20-minute stuff, but I think if I could put you on defense for the next month or two when until we get the injuries, your ice time's going to jump up to 24, 25 minutes. And I wasn't sure if he could do it, and he said he would try. And when he first started him on defense, the first couple of games, I put him with Nick Lidstrom because he, he, was, he's, uh, he was one of the all-time defensemen and, and he was right in the prime of his career. And after a couple of games, I said, he doesn't, Sergey doesn't need Lidstrom to help him. So we played him a lot. We played him 24 minutes, but my regular defense came back. I forget who it was, but no, he, he was one of those unique players. In fact, I, I had met Wayne Gretzky oh, years after that, maybe or three or four years after I left Detroit. And I was talking to him one time at a dinner and he was talking about players. And he said, you know, he had a lot of admiration. He said, you know, I could never go and play defense. Mario, I, I would never be able to play defense. And he mentioned Yarmir Yager with the third guy. He was in his prime at that time. He said, you know, Yarmir wouldn't be able to go play defense. He said, it's one of the unique things. That very few players could do what he did. Uh, you know, maybe a guy like Messier, uh, I don't know how he skated. I was backwards. So you can't play defense unless you can skate some somewhat backwards. If, if you, you know, if you, if you can, Sergey could really skate backwards and that's, that's what helped him. I mean, it'd be pretty hard to, to move on defense if you, if you, if you couldn't get moving uh, backwards, you know. Are there any players in the modern game that you think could skate as well backwards as Fedorov and maybe be able to give you some of that two-way play? I think we're going to see, I think it's possible the way the game changes now that there could be some players that are very good skaters that could that are agile, which means they can skate sideways, backwards, frontwards. Um, maybe don't have the scoring touch. You know, maybe they just they know how to play, but they can't put the puck in the net, and and that's a tough that's a tough detriment. And there might be some players now that you'll take a player like that, and uh, who knows in the future there might be some coach figured out. I may go four and one. I may go one. I may go one defenseman, regular, uh, bona fide defenseman, and I might do a hybrid guy like a Fedorov that could play forward and defense. He could move up. He could move up and move back, whatever the the, the tempo is, and uh, that that's something that could be on the horizon. Yeah, I've always wondered why hockey stayed stationary with three forwards, two defense, and no one's ever really tinkered with it. Well, well, why, why, why did I, as a coach, I never ever took a goalie out. Maybe once in a while, with a minute and fifteen seconds, twenty. But all of a sudden, the coach that tried that the first time was Patrick Roy yep. in Colorado. He started taking the goalies out when they were two men down, with four or five minutes to go. And now, now. Um, 
it's stretched to, I think it's automatic now at two minutes. One minute in my day becomes two minutes today. You know, they take the goalie out. And if you're down two goals, they may take it out three minutes to go. You know, but they have analytics now too. I never had analytics, so I don't know what the analytics spell out. What, like, I'm sure the analytics will come into the equation that if, show me the record, when you take the goalie out, show me the team, how many times do they, do they score? How many times do they get put out of the game? You know, with an empty net goal, you know, the game's over. Uh, I don't know that, but uh, that's what happened in the game last night. The, the game was, uh, I think they, they, they took the goalie out. It was five to three. They took him out with three minutes to go. And with two two something to go, Pacioretty made it six three. Of course, now you got a three goal cushion, you know. Speaking of analytics, we started getting actual decent data at five on five in around two thousand and eight. So back in your day, we didn't have any of this publicly available. You must have had some kind of statistical information, whether it's game sheets or I'm not sure what your assistant coaches were putting together. But I got to think that as a coach, you're got to be using information in some way or another to try to make decisions. I had a fellow in Detroit uh, who tragically got a bad car accident over a year ago. He'd worked for five coaches at Detroit. I was the third one. And after me was Dave Lewis and Mike Babcock. He had a terrible accident coming home from one of the games in Detroit a year ago, but Adam Mitchell was his name. And each coach, like I, I, I wanted, I had him do certain things. I, I wanted to know, and I would change them up a little bit. I wanted to know each of my six defensemen that are playing tonight, when they get the puck, I want to know the result of the next play. Did, 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 did we keep the puck? Did he ice the puck? Did they get the puck? That's one thing I used to like to know. I, I like to know on our forechecking system, when we had a really good system, um, our, our first, first one back, did he, did he put the, was, he, was he putting back pressure right away or was he cruising? And please put his name down. Uh, and I want to turnovers at each blue line. How many times did we give up the puck at our own blue line or their blue line? And I, I, I like to... I like to know, uh, like the, the league supplies other ones now, but they were just basic ones that I wanted in my own. I mean, I could see them from the bench, but it's much easier when you get it at the end of the game or the period. This is what this is what Nick Lidstrom, he had the puck 15 times tonight. He made th- 14 plays that we kept the puck. Somebody else had 15. He only kept it five, you know, but there's, but the hockey's tough because you know we have during the season you got 18 minute intermissions, but but by the time they get their skates off and get them on, and you probably got about five or ten minutes, and you know to get the analytics during the game, and then and then you're going to another game the next night against a different team. But I I think I like analytics to verify what I saw. I, I'm not against analytics. Some people don't care about them at all. I, 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 because a lot of times your, your mind gives you an opinion and if the analytics verify your opinion, it's pretty, now you've got the eye test and you've got the analytics. There's certain things that as a coach, and, and you could change them during the year, but I had the basic, uh, basic ones. I wanted to know my, my high guy. I wanted to, I wanted to know if he wasn't backtracking 
full out if he was just cruising. So it's the F3 in the offensive zone, your first forward back? Yeah, like the high guy. I wanted to know, did he loaf coming back? Did he sprint? You know, things like that. And I used to also, because when you're coaching and you got you got the next line coming up and you got, you got, you're trying to watch part of the game. And, you know, um, I, I had the guy track players coming to the bench on line. Now it's a little different because they change so quickly. But, like, we have minute and a half shifts maybe. And I wanted to know when the player comes from the, from the ice, see, it's a lot different now because the game's so fast. When I first started, you never came off the ice if the other team was making a rush. Like, you know, you, you know, you, you, you don't come and leave your team shorthanded. Even when I was a kid, that wasn't allowed. I'm not that old. <laughs> I want to know the guy coming to the bench, the, the player leaving the ice. Okay. So he's got a little fatigue in him. Can he not give me three more quick strides to get to the bench a second earlier that the player from the bench can get on a second earlier than normal, two seconds earlier? And I, so I would just, I, I didn't want to get 10 things in a game. I used to try to get three or four. It's interesting that you say those, and it's funny because I know everyone, like the game has obviously changed, but a lot of those core tenants are still very much in place. Like, I'm sure you know Connor Brown on Ottawa, who had a really good year and was really good for Team Canada. I know I know for a fact when the Leafs drafted him, so he was minus 72 that year, played on a terrible team in Erie. And I, and I remember talking to them about it, and, and they just said, like, when he touched the puck, positive things happened. So we don't really care that he was minus 72 because literally like they weren't necessarily tracking, you know, his course here or whatever. And they were just saying like when the puck touched a stick, like good, good things resulted. Like they, they retained possession. Right. And you talked about blue lines, which I don't think people talk about it enough. Right. Like, did you keep the puck in and did you keep the puck out? Right. Like when the well, blue lines. Of, yeah. And one of the most important uh, stats for me now uh, watching the hockey, and I, if I'm trying to watch it, I, I'm trying to look at a player, is I, I think it's so important what do the defensemen uh, do at the opposing blue line when they get a pass back or they stop the puck from coming out, the resulting play. Do, does it ever, like, how many times do they hit our guy? How many times do they get it blocked? How many times do they miss the net intentionally? Like there's, that's a, a good defenseman to me. One of the most important parts of his game is how he plays at the other blue line. That's how I would, if I was going to be a scout to judge a defenseman, there's a lot of ways to judge him. I want to know though, how does he handle the other zone when he's, when, when his team has the puck in the attacking zone, what is his function? Like, if you you watch a guy like uh, uh, they got uh, um, Peter Angelo, he's a dangerous point man to, to cover because he, he goes in, he goes sideways, you know, he takes a few chances. He's he's a pretty used, you know, he's he's a he's sort of a hybrid defenseman. I don't know how great he is defensively, but he can angle guys. But boy, like he made plays last night in the game. That if he didn't make the plays, they might not have scored two of the goals. Yeah, like, and he know, scored a goal too. He, he scored, scored off the 
Yeah, and right? you could he, say, well, how did he get in there? Like, you know? Yeah, but, it was Ryan. Wizards, that was like, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be wise to track a good team, should know what their defense weaknesses and strengths are. Like, you know, does he get the puck through from the blue line? That's a big factor. Like, some defensemen never get it through. They get it blocked. They miss the net. They're too slow to shoot it, you know. And, and I mean, that's, you know, it could happen in one game. But over a period of games, over the season, it gives you a pretty good judgment on a, on a certain player, you know. And I know while we're talking about player evaluation and how we go to uh, try to evaluate defensemen, that's one of the hardest aspects because quantifying defensive performance, some people will just use points. And I think that can lead you astray at times because there's a lot more to the game. When you're trying to evaluate a defenseman, instead of just looking at points, would there be some other metric that you would have behind the scenes with your coaching staff? The one I like the most is, is when he's, when he's in his defensive zone, and he's and he and he can get a turnover, and 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 how does he get? How does he? How many, does he never get a turnover? Does he never? Does he never be able to get a, a loose puck? How many times does it happen in a game? And when he does get the loose puck, like I mentioned to you, uh, does he send our forwards on their way to a good attack? And that's the entire concept behind zone exits, which is a big thing in the analytics community right now. I like that. Just one more question for you, okay. and then and then I think we're good. Uh, good. So you may remember um, you were interviewed for a book. It's called uh, Simply the Best by by Mike Johnston. There, there's a chapter in there, and I was yeah. reading I was reading it, and uh, well, your chapter to, in preparation for this, and and you said something that I thought was super interesting in relation to the Leafs, and you were talking about organization. You were asked about organizations reaching excellence. And I'm paraphrasing, but you essentially said organizations that don't, it's usually because they break down in philosophy and eventually you realize that you've got to stay with it and you can't lose patience with a young player. Do you think the Leafs are kind of in that crossroads at the moment? Because right now, like we kind of said, like the fans are, they're at them. They're, they're at them pretty hard. They're at the manager. They're at the coaching staff. They're at Matthews. They're at Marner. Nylander's getting a pass because he had a good playoffs. But like when you look at them, is that a team that needs to stay with the course and things are going to sort themselves you know, out? A lot, a lot of the uh, decisions are going to be, I mean, I, I don't know the structure of the ownership and uh, what what their priorities are and, and you know, what how much uh, leeway they've given the people that run it because that's important. What they're what they're thinking because your philosophy has got to be. I I think that they they can't dis, discount the regular season that they had. They can't discount it. Um, it was different. No crowds. Uh, not as much travel. Uh, not as many opponents. Only uh, what what six opponents all the time. And you play a same team quite a bit. Uh, which to me though, by playing like a fellow like Matthews. That only played in in, in uh, the Canadian, the North, uh, and scored all those goals. You, you know, it's quite an accomplishment because you'd think because he only played six opponents that they and he played them nine and ten times that they would know, like they, they you know uh, they would know. Uh, we can't let him do this. We, you know, in other words, we maybe you got to maybe you got to put a guy right on him when they're 
when they're, when he's in the slot, you know, maybe you got to sacrifice because he scored so many goals, but no, I, I, I think they'll, they're going to have to do something with their roster because they're, they won't be able to keep all those players. Some, a lot of them are on one year contracts. I don't know what they have in the pipeline. You know, I don't know that. Not a lot. Well, I'd heard about this player and I don't know where he is now. Robertson. Yeah, he, he played in the AHL this year. Like he played a few games for the Leafs and then he played in the AHL, but how did he do in the AHL? I think he was doing okay, but he had like a knee injury or something. So he didn't get a ton of time in this year, sadly. He wasn't tearing it up, but he did score a goal per game in the OHL at age 19. So that's impressive. That's yeah, the O. But so you got to know what, what are they? I mean, it's nice to say we don't like this guy. We don't like that guy. But I, I would say one of their priorities is, I mean, he's a good player and he fit into the system and it, they've got to do a big analytic uh, analyzing of, uh, of Marner. Of, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Hyman. Hyman's yeah, a yeah, valuable sure. player. I mean, it's he's a, a good decision. I mean, well, you know, because it's penalty killing. Uh, you know, he's a top six forward. Maybe even sometimes he moves top three. So uh, those players are hard to get by. And uh, he's not that he does, he's got a lot of time left on, on his, you know, his career. So, uh, but I would say they, they have to take a look at trying to, and the hardest thing in the NHL today for any team is to try to upgrade your defense. It, it seems that defensemen, you know, I don't know the reason for it. Like, you know, can you imagine the, uh, like the two, the two of the top defensemen in the league today are McCarr with Colorado, Heiskanen with Dallas. And, you know, one was drafted third overall, and the other was drafted fourth overall, McCarr. And if you did a redo, but see, I, it doesn't mean every year you have to draft a defenseman low, because maybe in that draft, there wasn't any. I think when Edmonton was drafting their first pick overall three or four years in a row, it was a, it was a very uh, lean year for defensemen. I don't think any of the, I mean, I haven't done this, but I would research and look at all the, let's look at the player they took and let's see if there was a defenseman there. We know McDavid for sure. You can't, you can't uh, dispute that ever. But I mean, um, when Nugent Hopkins, he's a good player, but was there any defenseman? Probably not. So like defensemen to me are a priority. And uh, I saw some of the Canadian games um, with uh, uh, the world championship. And, uh, you know, he's only, he's only 18 own power. I did see some college games, two or three, I only saw him play two or three games, but I saw him overseas. It's a big ice. It's a lot different. It's a good skater. It looks like a good IQ. The coach doubled up in the big games, used them like went down to two pairs, used them in the last minute. He looks like, I mean, I don't know the other players that are available in the draft, could be Europeans, but this guy looks like he's, uh, I mean, he's got size, but he, he, he looks like he's going to be something. But I just saw in our thing this morning, or on the radio or something, uh, he's considering, and I can see it, like, he, let's say that Buffalo draft him. Are they going to, like, what are they going to do with him? Are they going to bring him to Buffalo and put him in, in their lineup? Or, or could he stay in Michigan? Like, he's, he's only young. So he's playing against some college players that are 22, 23. Uh, he said he may, 
he's, he's not sure about leaving Michigan. I know Kel McCarr stayed in college for an extra year when it was clear he was ready to come to the NHL. Yeah, no, and that's what I meant. After the first year, it was pretty clear he could play in the NHL if he wanted to, but they kept him there for that extra year so he could get a bit more experience and dominate. I'm wondering if that's what Owen Powers thinking. Give me one more year to truly dominate college hockey, and then I'll come in and be a top pair defenseman. Yeah, and coming to a team that's in the rebuilding, too. It's another... See, they already... They drafted three years ago, Ulf Dahlen, as a defenseman. Now he struggled immensely in the first half. And then he got his game turned around in the second half of the season. Like he had a terrible minus. It was in his own end a lot, very confused, but he's a skillful guy. He can make a good pass. He can shoot. And, and, uh, you know, like the, the snapshot of his last 25, 30 games, so much better. So, but he's, he's now 22 now. Scotty, we're just amazed with your hockey knowledge here. We're, we're talking in the chat that you can't see. We're just going, how does he remember all of this? I'm 28 years old, and I can't remember what I had for breakfast. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away here. Thank you so much for this. This is great hockey talk, man. <laughs> I got a good passion, and I, I like to watch. I mean, I'm looking for, well, not I'm not looking forward to the next two nights because there's no games, but there's a game on Sunday, but it's in the afternoon. I know. I don't like it. How can they get a Saturday night game? Like, come on, guys. Yeah, well, they got nobody to play. But I think, I think that I think you're going to see the next both of these series, the dynamics of uh, Montreal and Vegas, and uh, the other two, uh, Tampa and uh, Islanders. Wow, Islanders are a tough out, boy. Uh, you know, they they've been there before. They they play tight. They don't have they don't have a they don't have their top scorer. Yeah, Anders Lee. But they know who they are. They know who they are, though. And that reminds me, real quick, real quick, who do you think is the best coach in the NHL right now? There's so many. I mean, there's really good coaches like, um, you know, uh, Pittsburgh. I mean, you were with Quenville in, in Chicago, he's a, right? He's yeah, fantastic. He's, he, and so is, so is uh, uh, the coach in Pittsburgh. Uh, Mike Trot, Sullivan. Trotz, Cooper. is half. I mean, there's... You know, you look at that, you know who's an experienced coach. He's been around too. Felt bad for him, and his team just went south this year. In the end, was uh, Paul Maurice. He's been around. You know, Brindamore is really. I I I I discounted the Carolina team. Rod Brindamore's team, like he was a excellent, hardworking, not overly skilled, but he was hard to play against, and so is his team. He's very. He was a very detailed player, and he's become he de- a very he demand, detailed he demands, coach. He demands conditioning. He's a conditioned guy, you know. That's his. That's his real strong suit. And uh, he's young, uh, but you know, you gotta you gotta look at these coaches. Uh, DeBoer's been there so many times, you know. Uh, he's he was there with Jersey. I mean, he's been there close. Came came close with San Jose. So I, you know, he and he won in Kit. Peter DeBoer won in junior too. Yeah, he I won mean, the Man Cup with Kadri. You know who else is a coach that did a hell of a job this year was the guy in Ottawa. Yeah, no one expected them to be competitive. His team played hard. See, he had a little taste in the NHL with Babcock one year uh, with Toronto, and then he went to uh, Ottawa. I thought that this year would be a disaster. And he's got a group of young players that are on the horizon. I mean, that 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 kid from uh, Germany, Stutzel, 
uh, Brady uh, Kachuk, um, yeah. the, uh, a couple of uh, what's the, the centerman? Uh, Norris is good. The other good one, year. There's two of them. There's another one that's good. Formiton? Yeah. Yeah. This team is, is got, they're going to have their hands full. I mean, I don't know about their goaltending and defense. See, once again, the defense is going to be the, the uh, decision making, you know, for them. Well, anyways, guys, nice to talk to you. No, thank you so much, Scotty. We really appreciate you taking the time. Have a great night. Good luck. Yeah, bye. You've been listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. For news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to mapleleafshotstove.com and join the conversation.